0: cold and flu season, it, it's coming up here for a lot of us. For those in Arizona, we'll be headed back to it. it. It seems like far away now that we're just coming out of summer. But there are things that you can do outside of just zinc, elderberry, and vitamin C. You know, Those, those are all great, but I think those are, those are the cherries on top of really addressing the area of your body where most of your microbes are and where most of your immune system is. I'm just trying to help you guys save time, effort, energy, and money, and to put them toward the place where your immune system and microbes are doing their thing, interacting with the outside world, and can allow you To live your best life and navigate through these gut check moments. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun. For those of you who have never seen Jaws, I actually haven't either. Apparently that is the ever popular theme music that people use to describe Jaws coming after them. And for the sake of this episode, you can think of that as colds and flus and bacteria and various viruses coming after you for this cold and flu season. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Gut Check Radio. Super excited to get to this episode to you all. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic Because, A, it's when you unpack why it's called cold and flu season. Flu kind of makes sense. But when you think about the name a common cold, and when you think about what that term means, what does that insinuate? Or what what do you think in your mind as you hear the phrase the common cold? You probably think, hey, when it's cold outside, because it's cold outside, when I go out there, I'm going to get cold. And that's why mom always told me to wear a hat. That's why recess was always indoors from... November through January in the Midwest and some parts of the East Coast. Why does that happen? And, you know, what's also funny before we fully answer that question, I'm going to leave you hanging for a second, is in Arizona, I want you to think about this. In Arizona, you know when cold season actually is? It's in the summer. (laughs) So we have a theme here. If in Arizona, if cold season is in the summer months, in places like the Midwest and the Northeast, some parts of the East Coast, if cold season is during the winter months, what do you think are some of the commonalities that occur in these two places? Is it the temperature? I don't think so. Because in Arizona in the summer, it cold is the very last word that comes to my mind. What it really comes down to, and I remember learning this from my microbiology professor in, in graduate school, is you have to realize colds and flus are predominantly transmitted from person-to-person contact. There are other methods, but predominantly from human-to-human contact. And think about this. Are you more likely to be surrounded by more humans if you're inside a building or outside of a building. I'll let you know on that one for a little bit. I I imagine that all of you, you know, listening out there, you're very rational, you understand that. Hey, I'm probably in closer proximity to humans when I'm inside. So what are the commonalities between Arizona and the summer and we'll say Wisconsin in January? Everybody stays inside. <laughs> so we call it the common cold because traditionally, People would acquire colds during the winter months, but it was because they are inside. So it's, I, I cannot, it, it grinds my gears whenever people say, oh, you don't go outside. Like people walking outside in shorts and t-shirts are the winner are the reason that we get sick. Or it's like, no, the people who are walking outside in shorts and a t-shirt are probably more immune resilient than anybody else out there. So if you're out there and you're the person who walks outside in a shorts and a t-shirt during wintertime keep doing it. Don't let anybody tell you that's the reason everyone else gets sick. You're the reason that people don't get sick. You're the reason because you don't spread it because you're outside amongst the fresh air, amongst nature, amongst the environment that is making it harder to contract said disease. So if nothing else from this podcast, hopefully by now you've learned that the term common cold is an incredibly large misnomer and that cold and flu season mostly just has to deal with what part of the year people are most inside their homes. So If you're listening to this podcast and you live in the state of Arizona and it's now the late half of October, we're actually coming out of cold in flu season here into the most prominent time when people are outside. And if you're in, you know, 60 to 70% of the rest of the country, the total opposite is currently what you're undergoing. So for those of you in Arizona, this might be more helpful for understanding next or this coming summer for everyone else. Hopefully this is very relevant to this time of year right now. And I really feel for. A lot of the people out there who try they, they do what they're told to support their immune system, you know especially ever since 2020 and the, and the, the C word virus, the word immune system has sort of become hyperbolic and a sort of you know people their ears stand up and they automatically get on high alert because you can't you can only certain say things about the, the immune system and immune function. But I really feel for, for you out there who you do all what you're told. you know you, you take vitamin C, you take zinc, you take elderberry, all the stuff the internet tells you to take. To support your immune system, and you also heard how poor for your immune system it can be to have poor sleep. So you've started to prioritize your sleep hygiene, and you've you've started to take a couple different supplements to help support your immune function. Yet you still got sick the past cold season, and you're lift, you're sitting there going, ain't 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 that some you know what like what what's wrong with that picture? Why am I doing all the stuff people are telling me to do on the internet? Yet I still had cough, runny nose, sore throat, even maybe struggled to breathing, struggled to sleep because of how much congestion had to miss some work, just couldn't enjoy life, couldn't experience life to the fullest that I want. Like, you know, you're kind of bummed because you did the stuff and then you didn't get seemingly the rewards and get the reap the, the benefits of the stuff. Or, you know, life has been crazy with everything going on at your work, all the stressors and demands, maybe you got big projects or your kids' schedules. They just, they can't stop playing enough sports and stop doing enough after-school activities. You wish they stopped, but then you'd have to handle them. So are like, well, I hope you keep doing it. Well, I guess then I got to keep driving you to them. So there's that. And the last thing you want to have happen, amongst either one of those scenarios, or amongst the chaos of all, all the lives, all the, the craziness of the lives that we live, the last thing you want to have happen is to get sick. I've never heard somebody say, "You know, I got sick at just the right time." <laughs> I mean, if you have said that out there before, then you know, I, I apologize. But I imagine for most of us out there, sickness or getting sick never comes at a great time. There's, there's never a good reason. I mean, unless you're home for an extended period of time for other reasons, and that happens to coincide, then maybe it works out a little better, but it's still not fun. Again, you, it still takes away from your ability to enjoy life. So I, I feel for, you, you know, it's never opportune. And it, like I said, the quality of life altering is enough to make us want to say, hey, you know, what, what more, what, like, what am I missing? What, what, what's the big picture story here that either no one's telling me or that, that what narrative is being pushed that maybe needs to be rethought a little bit. And there's two primary matters to this situation. You know, you know what's, what's wrong, what matters? Or what, what's, what's the matter? What's the matter with that? I think that phrase matter is funny, but what's the matter with that? It's two things. Number one, you likely haven't fully addressed the largest population of microbes in your body. Let me say that again. You haven't likely addressed the largest population of microbes in your body. You know, and if all the colds and flus out there are related to various microbes, specifically viruses and bacteria, wouldn't you want to assess where that largest density of microbes is? And wouldn't you want to do something about that specific area? That's where all the hoopla and all the parties happening. Wouldn't you want to go to that party? You know, zinc and elderberry and vitamin C yes, they can be beneficial, but they're probably only moving the needle 20 to 30% at best, because a lot of those same compounds don't work on this large density of microbes. And for some of you who see the name of the title, you can probably assess where I'm going to So that's the first point is it doesn't assess where the largest density of microbes are number two. And this one is probably the most important is you're doing things to support your immune system, right? Zinc, elderberry, vitamin C, sleep, you know, which are all great. Without understanding, you please, please hear this, without understanding that 70 to 80, 70 to 80, and for those of you listening at one and a half or double or even two and a half speed. I just emphasize 70 to 80. So I I found that whenever I listen to podcasts at faster speed, you you don't really know where the emphasis comes from because it's happening so fast. It's hard to know what points or what words. So let me emphasize 70 to 80% of your immune system is housed within this one organ. And wouldn't you know the way God beautifully created it, the organ that has 70 to 80% of your immune system is the same organ where majority of your microbes live. You know where the epicenter of those two things is? The human gut. Think about that for a second. 70 to 80% of your immune function and most of your microbes live within your gut. And so one of the first chances your immune system has to sort of survey the field and look out for bad guys is within your gut. And this I've talked about this concept before, but the gut is actually considered on the outside of your body it's considered a hollow tube that runs from mouth to anus and that's considered outside the body so it's not until something makes its way through the gut that it is considered inside the body so and why why is it designed like this for a great reason so you could survey the field you know it's kind of like it's kind of like TSA. Like you don't let people onto the plane unless they've gone through TSA. And same thing, you don't really let stuff into your body unless it's gone through the gut or it's gone through the respiratory tract or it's gone through the skin. You know, these primary defense organs, their first job is to keep stuff out we don't want and let stuff in we do want. So literally, your gut, you can think of it like TSA. Hopefully things move a little bit faster than they do at some TSA lines, but, but that's, that's a topic for another day. And when we talk about gut health, there's, there's so many different avenues, so many different places we can go. But I always think, I think the reason nutrition plays such an impactful part on our health is via its interaction with our gut and our gut microbiome and our immune function and leaky gut and things like that. And I, I really, it's actually my love for nutrition that led to my love for understanding gut function and digestive health and, and things like that. So what, if I were to give general advice again, advice would always be different if I'm working with somebody one-on-one. But what are overarching principles that I've seen work well for people from working with enough people one-on-one? It's that once you get to a point where you can eat the widest variety of foods possible, once you once you you feel like you've, you've gotten rid of those food sensitivities, you've gotten rid of those food reactions, and you feel like your gut can tolerate just about anything, that's a great place to be. Now, you don't want to abuse that. You don't want to start throwing a bunch of crap down that will eventually lead to crap. you see, that was a dad joke there, but you don't want to just start throwing in a ton of highly processed, non nutrient dense foods in there. You want to be able to handle as wide variety of foods as foods as possible using an approach called the P 30 approach, the P 30 approach. If you take away, so take away two things from this podcast. Number one, most of the immune system lives in the gut. Number two, the P 30 approach. And actually number three is that common cold actually isn't because of the weather. It's because everyone's inside the P30 approach. What is that? The P30 approach is something that that I've sort of arrived at and that the idea that there's two Ps and two instances where the number 30 is very important for that P. The first P is for protein. Getting 30 grams of protein at each meal is, is the threshold amount where I've really seen it move the needle for people in terms of energy levels, satiety, all those other things, but even immune function. I mean, you think of a lot of our immune system. So people have heard to immunoglobulins. That's either supplemental or sometimes you can get a, a, a blood test that has IgE, IgA, IgG, food sensitivity test. But hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you probably haven't taken too many food sensitivity tests. You can go back and find the prior episodes where we uh, unpack what's going on there. But these immunoglobulins are actually made out of proteins, which are made out of amino acids, which where do we get them from? Our nutritional intake. So literally the building blocks of our immune system are found from our dietary protein and our dietary amino acids. So it makes sense that if you want to address your gut and specifically your nutritional habits, and you want to digest those proteins and amino acids, you'd start with eating enough of them. You'd start with getting, like I said, 30 grams of protein at each meal. And then people ultimately ask me, you know, what does that look like? What is, what is 30 grams of protein? If I don't feel like getting out my fitness pal, if I don't want to bring a food scale to Chipotle, Um, you know, I've obviously never done that before. Wink, wink. Is in general, it's kind of like a, a one and a half fistful. So if you just took out a portion of, of whatever protein of your choice, eggs, beef, chicken, soy, tempeh, you know, whatever your flavor is, take a fist and, you know, bring it together. And one and a half fistfuls of those is gonna get you about 30 grams of protein. That's a really good starting point. You can get a lot more nuance than that. You can get a lot more nuance than that, but I think that's a great starting point. So the first half of P30, there's two halves of this. The first half of P30 has to deal with 30 grams of protein, protein for the pea, per meal. The second half of p 30 has to do with getting more than 30 different kinds of plant to second pea, plant foods in a week. I've talked about this one ad nauseum on this podcast, and lots of other people, thankfully now in the gut health space, are starting to talk more about nutritional diversity, 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 instead of just always focusing on don't eat gluten, don't eat dairy, don't even look at sugar, don't even try and touch soy with anything, is you want to focus on inclusion because mentally that's just a much better place to live is to focus on inclusion. Are there periods where you need to maybe subtract, do some restriction, do some elimination? For sure. But I think overall for the longevity of all of us, it probably better suited to focus on inclusion and what foods we can include for our gut health. And you know, we could go down the rabbit hole of fermented foods and various yogurts and kimchi and things like that. But I really think in general, eating as diverse a diet, and specifically around these, these plant sources that feed our microbes that act as, as soil for our microbiome and help to grow different kinds of flowers, different colored flowers, different species, different strains, you know, all these things. Can you do that? So P30, the first half of the P30 is 30 grams of protein per meal. The second half of the P30 approach is 30 different kinds of fruits, vegetables, nut seeds, and 30 different kinds of plant material in a week. And people take that and run with it sometimes in the gut health space and say, "Oh, that means that should be on a plant-based vegan diet. Not exactly. I, th- I think, a, it is inevitably, we all have heard about the nutrient deficiencies that you're more susceptible to on a plant-based or vegan diet. And you know there, there's aspects of the the argument for veganism and not veganism that I would actually love to have with someone on this podcast in terms of the some of the the biblical undertones sort of speak to, you know, humans, we carry a certain domain. We're higher on the food chain than animals, and that we that was designed that way for a reason, and I probably just lost like 50% of my listeners for saying that. But if you're still here, well, I thank you. So there's that. So I don't think that's an, an argument necessarily to go all plant-based. There's actually some evidence out there that shows that certain people following a more paleolithic approach, and even the Hadza, which is a tribe that varies their nutrition based on what's available, and their microbiome easily adapts to eating a plant-based diet, but also to a high animal-based diet. So that tells you that our microbiome, is pretty easily adaptable to whatever nutritional approach we give it. But I think in general, if we combine those two, and because we live in the, the, the West and we have access to great quality food all the time, which can be good or bad, I think we can use that for good. Obviously, periods of fasting and eating seasonally are in there, and we can talk about that more in future episodes. But I think, again, in general, more than 30 different kinds of fruit, vegetable, nuts, and seeds, plant diversity, 30, different, 30 grams of protein for meal, P30, remember that number, P30. I hope I said it in sort of a, a ringful tone. Hopefully to give you all something to remember. Okay, Whew. you all can take a breath. Now that we talked about the boring stuff that no one loves to talk about, now we can talk about what everyone loves to talk about in gut health: supplements. And of course, you know the first supplement we have to talk about is probiotics. You know, you know, should you decide to take part in gut supportive supplements, there actually is some pretty decent evidence for a couple of different strains. We talked previously on this podcast about there's this idea of strain-specific probiotics where the, the letters and numbers that at the very end designate its function. And, you know, it's important to the function of an organism because saying you have two of the same species of probiotics is like saying you have two mammals, but one mammal could be a dog, one mammal could be a human. They, we don't really function the same even though there's some similarities. So it's important to know the function there. And there's two strains I want to talk to you guys about today. One is going to be for a more preventative aspect, so maybe something you want to consider taking leading into the cold and flu season to prevent it off. And the second thing is going to be should symptoms happen. So we're going to start with the first as a probiotic called Bifidobacterium lactis, B-L-O-4. So you'll see B-L-O-4 at the name of it. And I was a little curious. So the name Bifidobacterium, what does that mean? So the end of it, bacterium, obvious means bacteria. So Bifido is actually Latin because, of course, in health and medicine, everything we get is from Greek and Latin. Bifido is Latin, which means to split in two or Y-shaped. So bifidobacterium is a Y-shaped organism when you look under a microscope. Is that helpful to actually know anything about it? I mean, sort of. It's kind of cool sometimes to know where names come from, and, you know, the more you understand why things are called what they are, the more you can hopefully put the pieces together. So is bifidobacterium lactis, B-L-O-4, has actually been shown to reduce upper respiratory tract infections, which is one of the most common manifestations of getting the cold or getting a common cold or the common indoors, as I'm gonna start calling it, or the flu. And to reduce that by 27%, so by more than a fourth, that's a big deal. I mean, that's improving your odds to be able to do lots of things in life. And again, this is a preventative aspect. So this is in, in, in an attempt to prevent the cold and flu from even happening. So, you know, several months out. So now, potentially, you find a product it has BLO4, and people always ask, Well, what's your favorite product? You got to imagine, most of these supplement companies are getting probiotics from you know three to five suppliers. So, I probably, if you have a supplement company that's reputable, I would look through their probiotic catalog and see if they have one with BLO4. Some products are going to have it standalone, just that one strain, a lot of them are going to have it mixed in with eight to nine other strains, which I think is fine. You know, we could get into the nuances of that. But I think in general, I would look for a probiotic product that has BLO4 if you want to be preventative from your favorite supplier. Now, Nick, I'm not feeling great now. i got some coughing, some sore throats, some some runny noses. Like, I, I'm feeling it now. Like, what kind, is there anything I can support my gut with now to help with that? Well, there's some good evidence behind another different type of probiotic strain. This one is called lactobacillus fermentum meaning, you know, fermented, meaning it was fermented VRI 003. What is that? That sounded like C3PO. So there's actually only one product that I've found on the market, on the public market that has this strain in it. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But what this strain was shown to do is it reduced the number of symptomatic days, the amount of days you had the symptoms of cough, runny nose, runny nose, sore throat by more than half. Granted, the study was done in endurance athletes and uh, because it's, it's easier to study the athletes because they're available to a lot of these researchers at various universities or they're the people who sign up for studies because they're the, the, um, the disciplined and supplement junkies, as I like to say, being one of those people, I can definitely attest to that. And so that's more from a symptom management aspect. And there's a, a ton of other things you should do to support your health. If you're actively dealing with an upper respiratory tract infection, obviously listen to the guidance from your physician. But if you're on your own and you're looking to experiment, you know, there seems to be some good evidence for, again, reducing the number of symptomatic days by more than half, 30 versus 72 days. That's a big difference. So the group who took the probiotic only had 30 symptomatic days over the year versus the group, I think this is over four months, versus the group who didn't had 72. I mean, literally, that's you could do so many extra things in life with that extra 42 days. And I'll put the link in the show notes about the one product of the strain I've seen that has it. So that's, that's the wraps on probiotics. And there's, there's one more product compound within the gut health space that I've experimented with before, that I've actually seen have good results with some of my patients and clients as well, and that's colostrum. Colostrum is actually known as what's called the first milk, meaning whenever a mammal gives birth, part of the liquid that comes out at first birth, not to, you know, TMI here, part of the liquid that comes out is a substance called colostrum. And that colostrum is very rich in nutrients, prebiotics, but also immune-supportive compounds, namely immunoglobulins. So the immunoglobulins themselves can be found in colostrum, also things called lactoferrin, which help bind up various bacteria. We're getting too deep into the weeds. Immune-supportive compounds literally can be building blocks further for your immune system. And colostrum, taken alone as a supplement, has been shown to decrease the number of up Upper respiratory tract infection, excuse me, symptoms. So this is symptoms. So this is while you're actively dealing with it. It's been shown to decrease the number of upper respiratory tract symptoms, namely cough, sore throat, sinus congestion, for those engaging in frequent exercise. Again, the reason people that are exercising through this are studied is because they're the ones who often sign up for the studies because we are more than willing to always treat our body like a, a giant factory and a big guinea pig. So that's one part. So it can help with the symptoms. Again, what about on the prevention side? So in the probiotics, we talked about one, the BLO4 for preventative, and then lactobacillus fermentum, VIR003 for management of the actual while you're having it. So we have one thing for colostrum for helping with the symptom. What about on the preventative aspect? So actually, there was a study assessing flu prevention. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose the other 50% of my listeners for this one. And one study compared to the flu vaccine. Those taking colostrum, quote, I'm quoting the study here. This isn't my opinion. This is just data. Those taking colostrum had nearly three times fewer sick days over a three-month period than those taking the flu vaccine. Now, I know because I said the word vaccine, my podcast has been flagged by every internet, social media, media mogul outlet everywhere. But again, I'm just quoting the data. You can, I'm going to link in the show notes to a blog post I wrote where I talked about this. You can you can look at the study yourself. It's right in there. Again, to repeat. For colostrum, in one study, compared to the flu vaccine, those taking colostrum had nearly three times fewer sick days over a three-month period than those taking the flu vaccine. I just think that's very, very interesting. And the final study that I talked about in my blog post, but I'll touch on it here, this was a really cool study where it assessed combining colostrum with probiotics. So there's, pay attention with me here, there was a study that looked at four different study arms. So in a study, they have what's called arms, or they do different interventions. So there are four study arms, I'll do them by number. Number one, there was a group that took colostrum plus a probiotic blend. Number two, there was a group that took nothing. Number three, there was a group that took a vaccine, a flu vaccine. And number four, there was a group that took the vaccine plus the colostrum probiotic blend. All right, so y'all following with me? So at first glance, you know, my thinking would be the group that took the vaccine plus the colostrum probiotic blend would be the most effective, right? You're getting the adaptive immune response from from the exogenous vaccine, and you're getting the immediate immune support from probiotic and colostrum. That's what I thought. But it turns out, this was fascinating, Listen, listen up here, it turns out that the group that was just colostrum and probiotic had fewer flu episodes, fewer flu episodes compared to the control group in the vaccine only group. And that was the, the most often data quoted by the study. So it's interesting to see both a natural classroom probiotic and man-made, you know, vaccination products being used together with good results. I think there's been lots of hoopla now these days about things going on with vaccinations and thought, should you do them, should you not? Like, what's the big deal, this and that. And I think that's important, but I still think there are things that can be done both naturally and synthetically to help support your immune function. All right, we talked about religion and we talked about vaccines. So now I have no audience left to listen to this episode. But if you are still here, maybe I'm just talking to myself. I heard someone say once that people just start a podcast to do therapy on themselves. And I said, yep, 100% to that. So really, thank you genuinely to those of you who are still listening and those of you who have been listening. You know, this has been such a fun journey for me to provide value to you guys and hopefully to give a different perspective on holistic health, one that isn't fear-mongering and one that just tells you information and tries to keep it simple and like, hey, what what can I do about it? But I think the last part on, you know, how can I support or address, how can you address your gut to combat cold and flu season? we got to talk about antibiotics. And I think sometimes they're they're life-saving. And sometimes in the immediate situation, you, you know, you trust the person who prescribes them, recommend them, you know, always go with what you've been prescribed. And so you take them. And that's completely okay. And, but we do know there are things that happen to the gut. Everyone knows this. So if, if that is you, if you had to take them or you've taken, say, more than three rounds in the last six, six to 12 months, I think your gut gives you some love. And I'll link in the show notes again. I did a whole podcast on this. But I'll link in the show notes to the free guide I created on how to repair your gut after antibiotics with tips, strategies, tactics, and my favorite go-to foods and products to help you rebuild a robust gut and immune system after coming off antibiotics. So you've listened to this entire podcast. You've heard me talk about foods, about the gut, the microbiome, things like that. You know, what are some calls to action? What are some things you can do? And there's, there's two prominent things I want you guys to do, and that's on the food front. You know, really take inventory of how many different kinds of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds you eat within a week. The, literally, I've, what I have with a lot of my patients is I have them just write it down. Write it down, I, I bring it into me, and then we have this little thing in Google Sheets we use to assess it and give them a score based on what their number is. So just write it down and get a sense, hey, did I eat only four kinds of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds? You know, I find people in the fitness community, they track their macros and they hit their calories, but they eat, we, you know, we, we meal prep the same foods every week. So then we get no diversity, even though we're getting our three servings of fruits and vegetables, we get no diversity. So then our gut just adapts and our garden doesn't become colorful. We just have the same garden year-round, which is fine, but if you want to fight off various organisms, you might want to have some diversity in there. And number two, again, take inventory of your protein intake. The first thing I would address is, A, whether or not you're even conscious of your protein intake. So if, if protein's not even on your radar, I would, I would start to consider, like, hey, can I even answer my own question of do I have a main protein source at this meal? And number two, if you are aware of protein, if you're protein conscious, as I like to say, if you're one of those protein-enlightened people, ask about your quantity and ask yourself, are you getting at least a fistful and a half servings? So one, 1. 1.5 fistfuls of protein at each meal. And I'm assuming this podcast, you heard the word fistful more than you ever thought you would, but I'm telling you, it's cheesy, it's simplistic, but my gosh, does it work? And, you know, again, cold and flu season, it, it's coming up here for a lot of us. For those in Arizona, we'll be headed back to it. it. It seems like far away now that we're just coming out of summer, but there are things that you can do outside of just zinc, elderberry, and vitamin C. You know, those, those are all great, but I think those are those are the cherries on top of really addressing the area of your body where most of your microbes are, and where most of your immune system is. I'm just trying to help you guys save time, effort, energy, and money, and to put them toward the place where your immune system and microbes are doing their thing, interacting with the outside world, and can allow you to live your best life and navigate through these gut check moments. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.